So today, guys, we're very lucky. We've got Caitlin McClatchy joining us. She's a triple Olympian, double Commonwealth champion, European and world medalist. So uh, thanks very much, Caitlin. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, guys. Uh, nice to be with you. I'm enjoying the sunshine at the moment. So, yeah, all, all good. Very good. How are you, in, uh, how are you coping with lockdown? <laughs> um, it's actually really, it's, it's been quite strange because I'm away. Like, I feel like I'm away all the time and I work in London sort of four times a week and I'm going kind of from, from where I'm based just outside Loughborough to London quite a lot of commute. So it's been really strange to just be at home and just kind of get used to being life at home, working out of my like study office at home as well. Um, and then just been exploring the local area, something that I don't really do, like gone for some really nice walks. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's been it's been okay. It's not been too bad, and I get to spend time with Liam, my partner. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been it's been really good. Awesome. Yeah, you're probably saving yourself a lot of commuting time as well. Must uh, what about four hours a day to London and back? So that's got to be quite nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's um, yeah, it's it's quite a long commute. It's two yeah, two hours, so four hours every day. And I'm getting up like was early morning training. So I get up at five or so in the morning, go to the train. Um, so yeah, I've been able to get up at a leisurely half seven in the morning. So it's been... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, very nice. So like you said, uh, your partner, Liam, Liam Tancock, um, you both been like very, very busy normally and you're both traveling everywhere. So to obviously have that bit of time at home, like you say, being together might might be quite nice now. Uh, what are you doing to occupy your time in lockdown other than walks and things like that? You doing any of the challenges that are going around or anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't really been. I mean, I did the, you might have seen the swim cap challenge that Liam is doing. So I was the person that threw the cap onto his head, which was definitely the fun part of being on the receiving end of it. Um, <laughs> But no, just, um, as I said, walking and going for cycle rides and things like that. And it's just, I found it it's so important and I probably didn't appreciate it this much that kind of getting out of the house and going for walks and doing some exercise has been really important. It helps to kind of clear my mind and um, help me refocus rather than just being stuck in the house all day. So um, I probably didn't realise just how important that was. So I think definitely going forward when we come get back to some sense of normality, I'll be definitely incorporating a lot more kind of walking time into my daily routine and things like that. So um, it's been a good learning experience, definitely. I think you're selling yourself a little short. I heard you were on a bake-off yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, we did. Yeah, I have been baking a lot, actually. Um, which is something I don't normally do and I don't really have usually have time for. Um, so, yeah, we did actually at work. So I work at the British Olympic Association, the BOA. Um, and we did a virtual work bake-off. Um, so it was all on presentation because obviously you can't taste the finished product. Um, so I was trying to be really, I was, I was thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I did a GB flag, Union Jack flag, inspired cake. Um, and miraculously um, won the, won the bake-off. So yeah, it was good. Oh, Actually, taste well the cake well, which is um, a, a bonus, definitely. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. We did get sent a photo, actually. It was very impressive. <laughs> yeah. <it was> <laughs> so, obviously, you had a really good career, as we said at the start, as an athlete yourself, but then you transferred out of being an athlete into sort of the working world. Um, you appeared, from, from our point of view anyway, to have coped with that really, really well. I know some athletes sort of struggle, some don't uh, find that as an easier process as others. 
Um, did you find that as easy as easy as it appeared to us, or did you struggle with that along the way, or how was that transition for you? I think it's uh, well the transition from kind of full time athlete into the working world. I th it was it was really challenging actually, and I think um, and I'm sure all athletes or most athletes will go through this sense of like loss of identity and you know you have your identity i'm known i was known as being a swimmer um and and then you know what, who am i now when i go out into the working world and, and what do i actually want to do i've done swimming for like 20 years of my life um and i i didn't really have necessarily a plan of what i really wanted to go into um i did politics as an undergrad degree and i thought you know maybe i could go into politics so kind of dabbled in a bit of that really enjoyed uh, working for YST, doing um, um, those sort of things, going into schools and, 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 and meeting pupils as an athlete and, and doing mentoring. Um, I, I really like that. I'm working with the Dane Kelly Homes Trust, um, working with young people, young adults. So it was um, really, yeah, I, I guess I just tried to find what I enjoyed. Um, and that was, that was difficult. Like, what am I good at? You know, I've been I've hope, you know, excelled at something for, for 20 years and now I'm, I'm almost starting right at the bottom again and I don't know necessarily what I'm good at. So tried lots of different things, um, was really open to different opportunities. I think that's really important. Um, don't necessarily say yes to everything, but actually try and, you know, take on opportunities that maybe you wouldn't normally do or maybe a little bit, I don't know, um, scared of doing or fearful that you might not succeed. So I, I definitely think it's a, it's a, important to try try new things challenge yourself like you would do when you're an athlete um so yeah i mean i, I very much sort of just tried to find what i wanted to do and i feel um, very fortunate now that i'm in the kind of the world of sports still um working at, at the boa and and um you know was was on track to kind of um, support athletes out in tokyo this year so i was going to go out to tokyo being based in the olympic village so it's really nice to kind of be on the other side now as as a former athlete supporting the next generation of athletes. Yeah, I mean, so you've, you've done so well kind of with that transition and you've sort of catapulted yourself to the role that you're in now. Like you said, you, you got your undergrad in politics. You've also got your master's as well. Um, you've got lots of other different sort of qualifications behind you too, which you were sort of obviously thinking about as an athlete still, you know, you were preparing yourself ready for that transition to come. How important do you think it is for athletes at any level to have that other side? How do you think, how important do you think it is for them to actually, you know, have the education side of it to prepare them for that transition and realize that there is a life after swimming as well that they need to get ready for? Um, I think it's really important and, <clears throat> You know not only for your career development but for your general well-being to have something alongside your you know sporting career um it, it's it's really important and when things weren't going well with, with swimming because you're never always going to have a perfect cycle you're never always going to have good days um when i had you know the bad days and i wasn't like quite finding myself in training or things weren't clicking i had university to fall back on or i, I tried different things i like i like reading um, trying kind of new activities um, and I think it's really really important and just building up kind of like a bank of skill set um, I mean you, you do as an athlete anyway you know you have all of those really important skills that a lot of employers look for you know you get up early in the morning you're dedicated you're committed but just having a few extra things 
um, is really, really important. And I think I was under the impression that, you know, my university degree and my swimming was going to get me straight into a job. Um, and I thought that was going to open doors and it definitely did. But at the same time, I had to work really hard to try and build up different skills that I hadn't been able to do. And I guess if I had my time again, I probably would try and do more things when, when else I was an athlete um, to try and upskill myself. Um, you know, you, you can't you can't necessarily swim forever. Um, so there is a, a shelf life to to being an athlete, to be an athlete at the highest level. Um, so it's important to try and have that dual career path that, as I said, for a well-being perspective, but also to then catapult yourself into life beyond sport or life after sport. And I think it's really important. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Like you said before about uh, a lot of athletes finish and have the identity crisis, they don't know who they are, and especially if they've just done this sport, be it swimming or whatever, then yeah, what, what, what are you, what have you got left now? But if you have at least got an education and you've got qualifications, at least you can say, well, I'm this too. So it, like you mentioned before, because you open a lot more doors. So what is your role within, within the BOA now, within the British Athletic Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so with the, the BOA, I work in the athlete services team. So I'm at the moment um, supporting the kind of athlete education side. So helping to provide resources for people um, or athletes looking to go to Tokyo. Um, some have already been selected and then others that are working towards Tokyo. So um, we film videos with Olympians talking about their experiences of the Olympic Games. Um, you know, what's the Olympic Village like? What's the dining hall really like? Um, it's very much focused at kind of first time Olympians. However, I think it's still like a good process to go through if you've already been to games before, just to refresh your memory as to what that environment's going to look like. Um, and then we do kind of specific stuff about Tokyo. So what the, what the village will look like. Uh, the services that Team GB are going to provide, like the Performance Lodge, which is a quiet sort of training um, facility that athletes can go to outside of the Olympic bubble. Um, so they can get away. They don't have to train in, in facilities with their competitors. They've got a you know, performance gym there. There's a swimming pool. Um, so it's a really great setup. Um, and then there's other things like our preparation camp, which is out in country as well. So just trying to get athletes um, familiar with what the environment that they're going to go into looks like. Again, really important as an athlete, you kind of want to know that environment you're going into in order to best prepare for when you go into it. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been really good. And I've also been um, working on our nearest and dearest program. So that is where we support athletes, family and friends. Uh, again, a really important element for athletes is that they don't want to be worrying about tickets. They don't want to be thinking about how their mum and dad are going to come out to the games or who's going to look after them, you know, when, when they're out in country. Um, so through the Nearest and Dearest programme, you know, we kind of have a facility at this performance lodge that, we, that I just mentioned. The athletes can meet their friends and family in a safe environment. They don't have to be going out of the village into the streets of Tokyo to try and find their parents at a cafe. There's a facility that they're going to be looked after they can come for a cup of tea a biscuit those sorts of things so um it's been really really great kind of working on those projects there's something that i used as an athlete i, I use the nearest and dearest program in, in london um and um so it's been great to be on the other side actually um kind of putting together the content and, and supporting that program there's a lot going on then. <laughs> uh, you must be in an ideal situation to be able to help with that. Obviously, you went to three Olympic Games yourself. And what were you, 17, 18, when you qualified for your first Olympics? 
So like you'll have experienced what these first time Olympians, being, being a really young athlete on the team, perhaps have been a veteran at your last Olympics. So, but I'm assuming you're still learning stuff every time. Yeah, no, it definitely. And, and I think um, my, so my first games was Athens and I was um, 18 years old. And it was my first international senior competition. So I had quite a, um, a quick kind of going through the ranks as a young athlete. And, um, you know, I, I qualified for the Olympic Games. And I don't think anyone bar maybe my parents and my coach, um, I, I kind of didn't really fully believe it when I qualified for that Olympic Games. I wasn't definitely not ranked to make the team. I was definitely an outside chance. And I remember going into the Olympic trials and being in the final for the 200 freestyle, walking out for that event. And um, it was in Ponsford, Sheffield. And they had all the TV lights on. They had the TV crew, the BBC were filming. And I looked around me and saw all of the competitors. And I was like, oh my God, you know, this is a really quite a, a, a scary moment. I'm with people that have been to Olympics before, you know, world championships. And I remember diving in, touching the wall, and looking up at the scoreboard, and I, I just couldn't believe it. I, I qualified for the, my first Olympic Games um, and my first senior international competition. Um, so actually having that kind of um, that knowledge of going into an environment where I just had no idea what I was going to expect um, at the Olympic Games. I've been told about what, you know, what happens at an Olympics, but I had absolutely no idea. And I definitely think... Uh, if I'd known a little bit more about what I was going to go into, the environment I was going into, I might have, I think, you know, I still performed okay, but I could have definitely enhanced my performance by knowing just what it takes to be in that environment. Um, so now being on that other side and helping support athletes who might be first timers kind of going into Tokyo, for them to just be aware of, of, of things that happen when you go to the Olympic Games and even the journey to that. So what kitting out is like, what a preparation camp is like, I think it's, um, it's, it's been really rewarding and um, really important as well. Yeah. I mean, kitting out was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> From what I remember, that was a great experience. Like, just the sheer size of the place that you had to go into to, to actually do the kitting out was, it was incredible in itself. Um, so yeah, some amazing experiences and you get to pass on those to others, which is great. Um, obviously, like you were talking there about the start of more like your senior career, so qualifying for Athens, um, you had a long, really successful career uh, as a senior athlete. Um, how did you know when it was time for you to kind of move on to the other, the other part of your career? So, you know, going into the working world. Um, I think it's, it's never an necessarily an easy decision. And um, I guess for me it was a it was good in a way because I mean I did have an injury but I felt um, it wasn't stopping me from being in the water so I did have control of when I could essentially retire and I, it was you know I've been to I've been to Athens, Beijing and, and London Olympics and it was uh, just about a year and a half away from uh, Rio in 2016 um, and I'd come off the back of the Commonwealth Games in 2014 and I hadn't achieved what I wanted to because I did have a bit of a, a lingering injury. Um, and I looked to, to Rio and I thought, you know, if I, if I go to this Games, I want to be competitive. I want to try and push for the podium. Um, do I feel that I, I, can, I can do that? Probably not. I don't know if I can, how long I'm going to take to get over this injury. Um, but also I was quite, I just was quite, um, wanted to experience different things. And um, 
was quite excited but at the prospect of of going into the working world as well and and trying new things and so i think the decision for me was um was partly injury related but also that i was quite content with what i'd achieved in sport and um yeah i was excited to try new things and embrace kind of different opportunities so um i made that decision about a year and a half out from from rio to that i was going to retire from um from international competitive sport very good okay. i think that probably makes it easier to move on if you you're taking control of it, you take ownership of it. Um, I'm not surprised you're content, you had achieved quite a lot <laughs> there in your career, you've pretty much done it all, so congratulations on that. And uh, I also when, I also heard when you did your uh, BOA interview, um, you kind of set the room ablaze a little bit, so sort of like got an impression. <laughs> so, what oh, um, so I went for my, in, uh, my job interview, my interview for the BOA and it was, um, it was kind of we did an interview in the morning um, so i was interviewed um by um athlete services manager and uh, mark england who's the chef mission for the tokyo olympic games and then um i then went kind of a few hours later i was still just after that interview so it was the first interview there was two rounds um so i then went and did a um talk to the british um Olympic Association's Athlete Commission, so the BOA Athlete Commission. I went into the room and, you know, people like Catherine Granger um, are on the Athlete Commission and um, people like that. So I had to, to talk to, to the Athlete Commission about my role at the time when I was working with the BAC. Um, and suddenly people started saying, when I was talking, I can smell smoke, what is going on? So I just thought, you know, I can't, well, yeah, I can smell a bit of smoke here, but I'm just gonna keep, keep going keep carrying on, keep focused, talking about, you know, I had a really short window of time to try and get all the information across to the athletes as I could. And then someone was like, no, actually the TV is, is actually on fire. <laughs> the TV had gone on fire whilst I was talking. Smoke was coming out of it. Catherine Granger runs over to the TV being like, oh my God, we need to try and like sort this out. And so the IT experts came in, we're trying to sort out the TV. Luckily there was no one had to be evacuated from the building and no one, no one was injured. Um, in the event but um, yeah I just thought oh god I've just this is a terrible impression you know I've done my interview I'm meant to be you know waiting to find out if I get called for a second interview and in the meantime I've basically blown up the office so um, um, yeah obviously that wasn't my fault necessarily but um, yeah I just um, was just couldn't believe it I thought my luck is just not the best definitely not but um, yeah it was um, <laughs> an interesting experience and luckily I did get called for a second interview and then was successful in the job so um, yeah it was, it was just one of those things but um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure lots of people have got definite job interview disasters, but that was um, that was definitely up there. It must have uh, impressed them of how you cope with that <laughs> during an. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether um, I don't know whether they would be should be impressed if I just was like ignoring that there was massive issue going on, like fire on the TV, and just trying to focus on what I was saying. Um, but no, it was um, it was it was yeah, funny to sit back on. Oh. You mentioned there about um, Mark England being the chef de mission for Tokyo Olympics. Um, you've been a chef de mission uh, for the first time recently. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because obviously you've you've not long been in the role really, and like I say, you you've really quickly made your way through um, 
you know, you, you roll up to being a chef de mission, which is kind of one of the top roles that you can do, really. So how, how did that come about and what was it like? And tell us, it was Beach Games, wasn't it, that you were chef de mission for? Yeah, it was the World Beach Games. And it was the first, it was the first ever time there's been a World Beach Games. It was the ANOC, so the Association of National Olympic Committees. Um, it, and it was their kind of their um, World Beach Games. And um, uh, yeah, Mark and I had a conversation and I think he was really keen that, a former athlete would to be in the role um and uh, you know he asked me if i wanted to, to be the chef to mission and i said absolutely it sounds like a fantastic opportunity um so the chef to mission essentially is the head of head of the team um and you know i didn't even know what that term meant when really when i was an athlete um so actually getting to head up the full team you know you've got um all the team leaders so all the sports have got their own sort of team leaders you've got all the staff obviously all the athletes as well um, and I was heading that all up. It was um, quite daunting, but also really exciting. Um, so we had about uh, just under 40 staff and athletes taking part, 20 athletes um, across lots of different sports that I wasn't necessarily that familiar with. So we had kite pool racing, wakeboard, water ski jump, um, beach soccer. Um, so some sports that aren't actually in um, on the Olympic programme at the moment, but you know, this games is very much an indication of maybe where the games could go in the future you know they've introduced things like sport climbing skateboarding to the olympic program surfing um so some of these sports could be on the olympic program in at future games so it was a really exciting opportunity and originally the beach games was meant to be in san diego um unfortunately then it it, it was changed and, it, and then qatar um doha stepped in so it was hosted in doha and they did put on an incredible game you know they only had six months essentially to, to, to put on the games um, in Doha. Um, they did a great job. It was across five days. Um, we, we won some medals, which was great. Um, but I think it was a fantastic opportunity for those sports to kind of get to know the, the BOA and for us to get to know them and, and to represent Team GB is obviously a really um, rewarding and important um, experience. And um, for me, it was a real appreciation as an athlete you know i just kind of turned up at an event tried to perform the best i could um had like great facilities that i was very appreciative of but i probably didn't understand quite the level of detail and work that goes into each and every games and the level of planning is extraordinary um, it's a real testament to the, what the boa do and provide is that i wasn't as an athlete really aware of everything that goes into behind the scenes putting these games on and um yeah it was it was just a real learning experience for me of, of how much um detail goes into these games so actually then when we came to um deliver the games it, well when we came to kind of do the games in in october and go out the team it was like you know eight months of really hard work all coming together so it was it was um it was fantastic and being surrounded by brilliant staff members not only from the BOA but also from the home nation sports institutes as well so we had um, Scottish Institute EIS as well um, physios doctors um, working together um, so it's a really fantastic experience and I got to watch some incredible sports as well again something I probably didn't do enough of as an athlete was going to watch other sports um, seeing other athletes perform it was um, yeah it was it was great I really um, hard work but really really enjoyed it that's really cool I reckon it's probably one of those things where like if everybody's job's done well as an athlete and as a spectator 
You're kind of oblivious to it. You only really notice things if they've gone wrong. It's like then they stand out. But like if everyone's done the job well, they're not going to get any credit or recognition for it. So yeah, it must be quite interesting from your point of view to see all the hard work that's gone in. So looking forward, uh, looking forward to Tokyo 2021, all that sort of change in venues and stuff. Is there anything you could sort of learn from that? Will that help? Will that extra year of preparation for the guys in Tokyo? Will that help them there for the VOA? Like, how will that um, all play out? Do you think? Yeah, it's a, it's a really challenging one because <clears throat> it's you know we're talking four-year cycles as an athlete, but actually yeah. when the VOA is planning, it's much longer than that. You know, we're already planning for Paris um, in twenty twenty-four. Um, so there's so much that goes on behind the scenes and actually, you know, six to eight years of work has gone into this year and now to then move it to next year is a really big kind of feat of trying to get everything, you know, unpicking different things. Um, we've got locations, as I was talking about, our performance lodge, um, you know, that's, we're, we're taking over school essentially. So, you know, if they move the games and it was during school term would we still be able to access that facility for example um you know the best probably outcome we could have had was that it's replicated a year on basically um date for date by you know one or one or two days um so that was probably the best outcome that we could have but it, it yeah a, it's been quite a busy process you know once we got the news of the postponement um i think everyone basically found out at, you know n near enough the same time um, you know, athletes and, and, and people working at the BOA. So it was all hands on deck to try and work out, you know, how can we move um, into, ne into next year? And um, so from a kind of logistic point of view, making sure that the athletes have got everything that they need to perform at their best. Um, but also it must be very difficult for athletes as well. You know, you, you plan your, your um, career across a four year cycle. You can have everything geared up to, competing this summer um, and then that has now changed so it's it's, a, it's quite challenging from that perspective but also could be a great opportunity for some of the younger athletes that were maybe on the fringes they've got another year in time to really kind of focus on the olympic games um, so it could be a, a good opportunity for those that maybe were just on the fringes and then um you know coming into their own um this year potentially yeah, I feel like it's definitely going to, yeah, like you said there, for younger athletes especially, or, or people that have been injured, it gives them longer time to recover. Um, you know, I think we're still going to get some really high-quality performances across all the sports there. So are you in touch with the, the different uh, heads of sport now? Um, and, like, what, what's, what, is, what are those guys saying in terms of, like, where their athletes are and their preparations physically, mentally? Like, uh, we've spoken before, and, like, the swimmers are probably one of the – sort of most um yeah hardest hit you know they're the ones that can't go and do their sports all at the moment whereas other sports might be free to be able to carry on training to some degree um that's yeah. more relevant to their sport you know <laughs> yeah i know what you mean because obviously in swimming you don't we don't have access to a pool um although i have seen some athletes have been um kind of given these endless pools um so they can at least kind of get keep that field for the water um i think all sports yeah i, I guess some sports are more kind of land-based but i think for everyone it's it's still you know mentally quite quite a challenge because you just don't know when um you're coming out of this um, lockdown essentially so how do you kind of plan you know you want to springboard out of it almost but you know keep 
keep ticking over. So, but you know, everyone is in, in the same boat. Um, so I think just really keeping focused on, on, on the things you can control. And um, that's, I think, a really important element. In terms of the, the heads of sports, I'm not directly in touch with them. Um, but however, we are working with sports really closely to make sure that we can support um, athletes and, and staff. Um, and I think every sport is probably have, has their own way of, of supporting their athletes during this time. I know the um, English Institute of Sport have released a really good document on, on, on how to support your mental health during this time as well. And, and some great people that um, you can go and speak to, organisations you can speak to, um, which, which is really important, I think, for athletes. But I know that some sports are, are doing different things and have got lots of like really good um, virtual land training programmes for their athletes and things like that. I think they're trying to engage with them. Um, and also some sports are sort of saying, you know, it's not necessarily a holiday we want you to keep ticking over, but really use this time to like mentally kind of try and relax and, and do other things and um, for your own well-being, you know, you know, find out what hobbies you enjoy doing and, and things like that. I think it, it, that's really a really important element as well. So athletes don't constantly have to think I need to train, 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 keep ticking over. It's important to do that, but it's also important to have time away from that and, and, and just kind of refocus and, and find out what else you can enjoy outside of doing your own sport. Yeah, exactly like you were saying earlier, really. So not necessarily for all of them in a preparation for life after sport, but just in general, it's good to broaden your identity a little bit, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the, the hardest part for these athletes would have been before they knew when the new date was going to be. Um, you know, as an athlete, you generally like to know the end point. You like a plan and a routine. So I feel like now that there can be that opportunity to have a little bit more calm about the situation and kind of, you know, get your head around it and, and plan your training now a little bit more, whether that includes rest for people or, or what like that. Um, how do you think you would have dealt with that as an athlete? Do you feel like you would have kind of been calm from the go and kind of would have realised what you realise now? Or do you think, you know, you would have felt differently had you have not had the experiences you've had now? Um, it's an interesting question. I think, um, I mean, it's unprecedented, really, what's, what's happening. Um, so I, all I, can, I could go off if I was an athlete during this time is that I know that I've had a lot of time out of the water before through injury and having to do different things and couldn't necessarily be in the water. So doing land training when I've broken my arm before. So, you know, being in a cast, it physically prevents you from getting in the water. So you have to adapt. And I think a lot of best athletes are very good at adapting their situation and keeping their kind of mental focus. I definitely agree. Um, very, very difficult. And until they got the news of the postponement, for them to try and keep um, pushing to this year, you know, until they heard the, the Olympics and Paralympics were going to be postponed, that is, it is extremely challenging. So at least now, you know, knowing it's it's year on, hopefully that gives them a bit of kind of mental calm and they can really focus. Um, but yeah, I think for me, I, I would have probably used this time to try and find other things that I enjoy, keep some level of ticking over doing land based activities um, and, and things like that. And, and also, I think um, something that I probably wasn't as good at as an athlete. And again, if I could go back in time, I probably would do this more was all those kind of little exercises that I had for like shoulder stability um, and that you can do when you're just watching the TV and, and I probably 
didn't do those enough or, or stretching really important to stretch and have you know especially if you're doing lots of land training you don't normally do your muscles are bound to get a lot tighter so really taking the time to stretch work on core stability shoulder stability you know if you've got a niggling injury um if you can access a physio or speak to your physio you know what can you be doing to try and make sure that when you get back in the water or when you get back to a sense of normality and, and a normal training routine you can just be good to go and you've done a lot of this foundation stuff um during the time when obviously you can't be in the water so i definitely think i would have, i would have tried to do that and and maybe if i'd taken more of the time to do like shoulder stability exercises i wouldn't have had such niggling annoying injuries when i got back into proper the, the gym and, and the water when i've been injured in the past yeah yeah i was um when you were talking about like the stress of it all i was listening to uh dave mcnulty talk yesterday uh head coach at, at bath uh training center and he was saying yeah the worst period for them was um when the british olympic trials the swimming olympic trials got cancelled but the olympic games are still going ahead and he said that's when him and his athletes were at, like the most sort of confused stakes they didn't know what was going on so once the olympics actually got postponed it was actually like a, a relief for them. They calmed down quite a bit at that point. Um, yeah, I'm obviously, I, I know how busy you work. Um, before all this, how busy you've been sort of with your new role with BOA. Do you think your, your background sort of like helps you, uh, what you've overcome, like you said, you broke your arm, you came back. Was that before the Commonwealth as well, where you went and won two Olympic, uh, two Commonwealth gold medals? So. If yeah. sort of being able to bounce back and that resilience, does that help in times like this? Must do, right? Um, I think so, yeah. And, and do you mean in terms of, uh, of being an athlete, Joe? When, when you yeah, just sort of your background as an athlete and like, you know, the, sort of the, the skills and characteristics you must have developed to, to be as successful as you were, they, that must help you out in, in now. And, you know, how, how could younger athletes sort of relate to that? What could they do with that? Yeah, I think. Um, I think as an athlete, you know, I, I, I don't know many, if any athletes that have had this linear progression through their career that haven't, they haven't had some setback or, or something that's happened, whether that be an injury or whether that be, you know, they've not qualified for an event that they wanted to go to compete in. Um, so I think, and then you build as that, you kind of build resilience. And, and I think the best athletes are the ones that use that and, 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 and look at why something went wrong and use it as a learning opportunity. And, and the more resilience you can build over time, the more you can adapt to situations when things don't quite go to plan. Um, I think it's, it, is, it is really important. And um, one kind of, I, I remember one time that um, really sticks in my mind is, is to a kind of defining moment in my career is, as, as when I made that transition from probably younger athlete into more of a senior athlete is um, I'd been on the Scottish youth team, Scottish swimming youth team, um, and I'd qualified in, in, in when I was 15. I made lots of friends, really enjoyed it, felt that this is brilliant. I'm obviously on my career progression. I want to go to the Olympic Games. This for me now is that upward trajectory to go to the Olympics. Um, and then the following year, when I was 16, I went to um, British Nationals and I missed my qualification time for the youth team by 0.08 of a second. And I remember going over to the coaches and I was pleading with them saying, look, please, I've had exams. I, I, I've, I've really struggled, you know, and they were like, you know, there's criteria for a reason. Um, we can't allow you to be on the team because obviously there's lots of people that have just missed out. And that was a massive um, 
setback for me because for me that was my progression into the senior ranks was going through the youth team and I just thought you know now I'm not on that does that mean I'm not a very good athlete anymore and that does that mean I'm never going to go to the Olympic Games or never going to go to the Commonwealth Games um, and I remember I was really beating myself up at, at nationals I still had a few events to go but I knew that those events I was unlikely to to get the qualification times and a coach, it was uh, Robbie Rennick's former coach, Eileen Adams, came over to me, um, who was one of the coaches on the Scottish youth team. And she, and she kind of said to me, this opportunity could, you know, can absolutely break you as an athlete, or this could be the making of you. It's how you respond to this situation that is really critical and key. Um, and, I, and I remember thinking at the time, yeah, yeah, you know, I was still really raw and angry and, and annoyed. And um, I went home and really reflected on the words that she said. And I was like, do you know what? She's right. I can either just be in the dumps thinking of oh, not going to ever make anything of myself. Or I can really use this to see why didn't I do well and what can I do differently to make me better. And it really ignited this hunger in me to make me want it even more. And the following year, I, I not only qualified for the youth team, but I got onto the British swimming um, youth team as well as, as a wild card. And then the following year from that, I went to the Olympic Games. So it just goes to show, you know, you, you can have setbacks in your career, but use them as, as learning opportunities to make you better, build that resilience, think about things you can control. I think it's really important. And, um, you know, not all athletes have this linear progression in, into being the best in the world. Yeah. I mean... Everyone loves Eileen. <laughs> Loved Eileen. Um, do you think if she hadn't have said those words to you, you would have come to that realization eventually yourself, or could it have changed things? Uh, how important are those bits of advice and those words of wisdom from coaches? I think it's really important, um, and maybe I would have come to the the realization myself. But um, I think what I sometimes found challenging was if I had a bad swim you know people wouldn't necessarily know what to say to you so they would just kind of ignore you um and actually just having someone take the time to kind of come over and and almost showing that you're valued that you you, you know you feel you feel a sense of value that that a coach at a high level is coming over to you and taking their time to kind of speak to you to try and keep you going you know she, she didn't have to say that to me um, but that made me think, well, obviously Eileen sees something in me that maybe I don't quite see myself and maybe I need to believe in myself a bit more. Um, so I think it's, it's really important to have those words of encouragement. I also think it's important to have coaches, you know, telling you when you're not doing things well as well. Um, but having those words of encouragement, I think it's really important. Um, and, um, you know, when she said those things to me, I reflected on them. I didn't think, you know, in, in 20 years time, I'm going to look back and remember word for word exactly what she said. And I can almost remember the feelings of when she was talking to me about it and trying not to be burst into tears and things like that. And, um, yeah, it's, I think it's, it is really important to hear, you know, encouraging words, definitely. And just feel valued as, as, a, as an athlete, as a person. Mm. Yeah. I think it's even more so that she wasn't your personal coach. You know, that she noticed that for a, from another swimmer that wasn't her own, but still took the time to, to say that. That's, um, that's really commendable on, on both parts, I'd say. That. That's really good. Mm. Any favourite memories from uh, your athletic career, <laughs> whether your achievements or whatever they might be? Um, I feel like there's so many. I've been very fortunate, um, as you both were, to compete at a home Olympic Games. You know, not many people will have that um, you know, it's a once in a, in a lifetime generation experience. So 
that was incredible to, to actually compete in front of a home crowd at the London Olympic Games. But I think my kind of favourite moment for me as an athlete was um, going to the Commonwealth Games in 2006. And, um, you know, as I mentioned before, I'd broken my arm. So six months out, I'd, um, I'd unfortunately broken my arm at the World um, University Games, falling over, not very proud of it, quite embarrassing as well, falling over a signpost. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then being stuck in a cast in 40 degree heat for a week was really great. Um, and then, you know, just again, thinking, you know, the Commonwealth Games are in, you know, just, just over six months away. I was hoping to try and get on the podium and this moment in time with a broken arm doesn't look like I'm going to be able to do that. So again, had to really refocus and, and, and work on the things I could control and being out of the water and, and working on core stability and, and kind of running one armed on a, on a treadmill with, um, with a big cast on. And the minute I got the cast off again, I almost had to relearn my, my, my stroke technique. So it made me really focus on like the, the, the kind of the, the detail and um, almost thought about the big picture of going to the Commonwealth Games, but actually relearning my stroke. It was, um, it was just a different kind of outlook for me. Um, and then actually going to the Commonwealth Games and I was in the first event, which was the 200 freestyle, it was the first event of, of the Commonwealth Games. And I remember watching the news the night before and um, there was a, 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 um, an athlete called Libby Lenton, who's, who's now known as Libby Trickett. Um, and she was an incredible athlete and um, I've competed against her a couple of times before and I was kind of really respectful of her as an athlete and in awe of what she'd achieved. And the news reporters, because she's an Australian, the home favourite, it, it was in Australia, the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne, um, they were talking about how she was basically going to wipe the floor with everyone else. She was going to win her seven gold medals. And the first event, the 200 freestyle, they actually said, why bother even swimming the event? You might as well give Libby the gold medal. Um, and I remember watching this thinking, oh, okay, right, we'll, we'll see about that. And then <laughs> <laughs> going into the heats and then swimming quite well in the heats I was actually fastest going into the final but I knew that everyone was sort of hanging back a lot and, and maybe not quite showcasing um what they wanted to do in the heats so um I went into this final and I remember being in the cool room and it was right under the stands the temporary stands metal stands and you could hear the people beating on the floor with their feet and like, you were sort of sitting below it um, and there were some interesting characters in that cool room, let's just say, and they're trying lots of weird and wonderful things to put other people off. So I was just listening to my own music, trying to kind of focus on what I could do and, and think about the race and sort of visualize it. Walked out, you know, they called my name, put my hand up, waved, a few claps. Then Libby obviously went, the whole stadium erupted. Um, so yeah, it was, and then, went into the race and um she went out absolutely hammered it um for the first hundred meters was under world record pace and i managed to come back on the back end and it was sort of neck and neck in the final 15 meters and i remember just sort of putting my head down touching the wall and i looked up at the scoreboard and saw that i'd won the commonwealth games um at, at, at the, the 200 freestyle i just couldn't believe it. i'd done it in a games record time so yeah it was um it was an incredible experience and that, and that was probably my one of my favorite experiences my parents had flown out to australia as well to come watch me they didn't always come to watch every sporting event i was in um my sister was there and it was actually her 18th birthday that day as well so um yeah it was just a really great a lovely experience and um 
it's something that I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. And I think it made it even more important for me because I'd come back from injury and it, and it proved to myself that, you know, if I really believed in myself, um, I could achieve, what, you know, whatever I, I, I wanted to, as long as I worked hard and, 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 and didn't worry about things that, that happened six months before. So, um, and then later on in the week, I um, picked up another gold medal in the, um, in the 400 freestyle. So yeah, it was, it was a really a good week. Really <laughs> great. Yeah, it's really great games and um, Australia loved their sport as well. So it was a it was seen in that country as a massive, massive event. Um, so yeah, it was, it was um, brilliant. I absolutely loved it. And to get, you know, on the first day of competition, Scotland, so competing for Scotland, um, we were like top of the medal table. So, or like very high up on the, on the medal table on day one, because there's a few other Scots won medals that day as well. So um, yeah, it was a pretty cool, cool feeling to felt you contributed to that. And actually to date, that's still Scotland's best sort of gold medal tally in, in the pool was from the Melbourne Commonwealth Games. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's um, really cool that it was a part of that. Yeah, so you're a big part of it, <laughs> of getting that um, result, which is amazing. Um, so for anything else on? Well, I'm just going to say like what <laughs> what I took from that, what well, other people could take from it, current athletes now, is that like obviously you went through a broken broken arm six months before competing. Are you the only person going through that? Libby Lennon and all those other athletes, they were still training away. And I think that for me, whenever I was out of the water like that, I'd get more nervous because I knew the people were still improving, they were still getting better. Whereas now everybody's in the exact same, you know, they're in the same state. Nobody can really train, nobody can carry on as normal. So everybody's in the same situation. So I feel like for me hearing that story, if I was still an athlete, I feel like that would give me a little bit of a sense of calm. I could take that away from uh, what you just told us there. But yeah, that did sound like a pretty incredible week. So, <laughs> very jealous. Congratulations yeah, on that it's one. amazing career. <laughs> so, last question. Um, obviously, everyone's got a little bit more time on their hands than normal. You've got four extra hours that you would normally be travelling in each day. What are you um, watching on Netflix? Any recommendations that you'd uh, <laughs> that you'd give to people? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I've been yeah watching way more TV than I normally do. Um, <laughs> But I think something that I've been really enjoying actually um, is The Last Dance, which is the, um, the story about the Chicago Bulls and, and Michael Jordan. Um, and I do remember Michael Jordan kind of, because um, I was a young kid growing up during that, that era. And um, I remember watching Space Jam, um, <laughs> the film, Bugs Bunny and Michael Jordan. And that's what, what I knew of Michael Jordan. <laughs> and I actually went to Chicago a couple of years ago and, and went to the stadium. And there's a massive statue of Michael Jordan there. And so to actually hear about the story of you know, his career and Scottie Pippen as well, and, and, and Dennis Rodman, some of the real key players in the Chicago Bulls and, and where they come from and the setbacks. You know, Michael Jordan didn't make his high school first draft basketball team. You know, mm. one of the greatest basketball players, if not the greatest in the world. Um, so to hear those stories, you know, as an athlete, it's just really, you know, how did they come back? How did he come back from that? He must have come back from that because, you know, he's gone on to have an incredible career. So it's just been really great to watch that um, series. And um, it, you get two episodes every week. So I think we still need to watch this week's two episodes. But once you've seen the two, I'm thinking, oh, I need to watch the next ones. It's just really <laughs> interesting. So I've been definitely in, in, enjoying that. And some really um, good films as well, Netflix and, uh, and um, on TV. So yeah, it's, um, yeah it's, been, it's been all right. 
<laughs> Good. Great, yeah, we've been up to date with that as well. I think we've seen five episodes now. I've got one more left to go, yeah. Really enjoying that as well. Anyway, Kayla, thank you very much for your time today. I think that was, uh, yeah, really interesting and the viewers can really take some good stuff. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon.